pray together this morning as we ask the Lord's blessing on the preaching of his word. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to remember. I, I uh, personally thank you and thank you on behalf of our flock because we each know, really, Lord, um, where we would be and what we would be like if your grace had not supernaturally stepped into our lives and allowed us to hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, that that gospel includes the Son of God being born, living a perfect life, dying a sufficient death, as we read in Hebrews chapter 10, being buried, being resurrected, and being ascended, and imminently coming again. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity we had in our lifetime to hear that message from the Word of God, for faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. We're reminded in Hebrews chapter 11, for without faith it is impossible to please God. And so, Lord, we thank you for the gift of faith by your grace. And I pray again here, Lord, for all those who are joining us today that may not know the security of the forgiveness from heaven in their hearts by way of Jesus Christ, that today they would know him. By the Spirit of God, they would be compelled to know him and to own him as their personal Lord and Savior. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. Let's take our Bibles this morning and go to 2 Corinthians as we close. 2 Corinthians 11. 2 Corinthians 11. Second Corinthians 1, excuse me. I was thinking of 1 Corinthians 11, right? 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to continue along in here to the next section of our year-long, or should I say the remainder of the year, study in the book of 2 Corinthians. And we've heard of loyal commitments of military personnel to their cause even unto death. And we're amazed by what common grace can do. The image bearers of God being compelled to loyally serve in that way to understand this, uh, this guttural love, this amazing love to the point where they'll even give their lives for their cause is sobering to us. Very sobering to us, isn't it? My fear is this in relationship to the text that we're going to study the next two times we're together. And that text is going to be found here in chapter 1, verses 15 to 24, if you're taking notes. My fear is this, is that we would value less, not consider valueless, but that we would value less the service of the saints of God within the community God of God less than we would those who have served our country even under the greatest sacrifice. You guys know that, you folks know that the scriptures uses the metaphor that when you're 
called of God by the Spirit of God into Christ Jesus, that you're called into an army, right? That old hymn that we sing, right? Soldiers of Christ arise. Onward, Christian soldiers. That comes from a metaphor in the pastorals where Paul even likened Timothy, who was the pastor at Ephesus at that time, to a soldier. As God's people be committed as a soldier, be committed unto the death for the cause, because the cause of the Christian life is so much greater than national freedom. It's global salvation, folks. It's global salvation in Jesus Christ. There's no greater pledge of allegiance, if you will, to a life cause than to live for global gospelization. Are you with me? There's no greater cause. Certainly we'll all go tomorrow. We may visit graveyards and we might tribute, give tribute to those who gave their lives as we've done this morning. And, and you know what we should. The Bible says it is the will of God that we be found thankful. But my friends, it's still for national freedom. The blood spilt on foreign soil and even here in the United States by men and women sacrificed for our temporary national freedom and it's of great value. But it is not of infinite value. It is not of salvation value. And I know you know that. And when I say that, it's just to lift up the person and the life of Christ higher than any life ever lived. So that you might understand that our greatest need is salvation. Since that's the fact, when God calls us in salvation by the Spirit to place our faith in Christ and to turn from our sins, He calls us into spiritual servitude. He calls our lives to live a life that Jesus lived. What's our mission statement as a church? We exist to glorify God by evangelizing the lost and equipping the saints with the goal of Christ's likeness. Correct? With the goal of, let's say it together, Christ likeness. You see, friends, we really can't achieve the goal of Christ likeness if we're merely satisfied with the with his nature and his character. That's what it takes to be saved, to compare and contrast our lostness to his purity, for sure. But if we're going to pursue Christ's likeness, it can't just be the pursuit of adoring his person and his nature. We must adore the way Jesus lived his life. You must read through the Gospels, and you must say, is that life the life that I want to live? Is that the life I am living? I, would must, I must admit, even when I read the Gospels to this point, and I read the words of Christ, and I watch and the narrative of his life, it gives me a little heartburn sometimes. Is that really what I would have said? Is that something that I could really have agreed with at that point? Is he doing am I, what I would do? Or would I do what he does? Christ-likeness is the pursuit of living the life of the servant, the ultimate servant, who is Christ. And that's really what Paul talks about here in this next section. 
really, folks, all the way through chapter 6 and verse 10, the pastors of Grace Church could do a podcast on these first six chapters because really the first six chapters is all about what is ministry integrity? What is ministry integrity? How do we do the ministry of the church in a way that, that honors God? And, and uh, who knows? We may do a podcast on this someday. So just so you know the context in our study of 2 Corinthians, that's really where we're headed here. But it's interesting to me where he begins. Remember where Paul began last week in verses 12 to 14. As those who are called into the service of the king, into his spiritual military, if you will, as good soldiers, we've got to know that relationships among us have to be maintained. Relationships among us have to be maintained. Regardless of how rocky the relationship has been in the past, no matter how bumpy it is right now, since we're all in Christ, those relationships as co-ministers in God's army, they've got to be maintained. You go back and listen to last week, we highlighted three ways, three perspectives, if you will, as how we maintenance our relationships as we serve the Lord together. But look at the first line of verse 15. He says, in this confidence, in other words, based on what we learned last week in verses 12 to 14, now we're going to move on to this next section of scripture to continue to understand what these relationships are in Christ and what they hold to. And that's going to include analyzing what is unnecessary distraction in human relationship as we do ministry together and what is necessary foundation to understand as we maintenance relationship service ministry together in the local church. So he says, in this way, considering what we looked at last week, the past, the big picture growth of someone's life, considering the present, that holy, grace-motivated, countercultural behavior that we enjoy in each other's lives, and considering the future, the hope-empowered, loving way that servants saint in this or by this confidence, we're going to move forward to understand something else. And remember, we contemplated last week what Paul had endured in his past with the Corinthian church. In his past were very, very bumpy roads and experiences with the Corinthian church. But he's saying here, since God helped us with the hardest issues of the past, certainly he will help us with the hard or harder things of our future. So in this confidence, verses 12 to 14, and now verse 15, since it is underpinned by grace, we all move forward, easily assuming we will do God's mission together as we interact overcoming relationship obstacles together. I think it'd be good just to, you could write down a lot of texts here, but I think Philippians chapter four, verses one through five, just remember the, the context there of Yodi and Syntyche, right? Paul knows that these two godly ladies in the Philippian church have had a falling apart. They were co-laborers in the gospel, strong term. You couldn't get a tighter relationship in the gospel than this. They had faced an obstacle that pulled them apart from being co-laborers. And Paul says, no, 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 no. <laughs> Remember, he calls on the Clement, the elder there, to go and address these ladies to make sure they get back. 
to do what they need to do. Certainly the more bumpy experiences we've had in the past can certainly prepare us for less bumpy experiences in the future. So as we continue in the big picture context, Paul explains various aspects of ministry integrity that doesn't end until chapter 6 and verse 10. And each week we progress through these six chapters, we'll highlight various ministry virtues for our own learning here at Grace Church of Mentors. So here's a proposition of sorts for this morning. A God-centered ministry naturally is a Christ-centered ministry that is divinely supported by the work of the Spirit of God under the glory of God. Go back and listen to the tape because I'm not going to repeat it because of time. And you'll get that whole proposition, but you'll get the gist now. A God-centered ministry is a Christ-centered ministry that is divinely supported by the work of the Spirit of God unto the glory of God. So we're going to break up this passage this morning, understanding there's three sections to it. This is not our outline. It's a general overview that's necessary to understand the outline that we'll give in just a few moments. So verses 15 to 24 offers its own introduction and offers its own conclusion. Typically when you're developing a sermon as a pastor, as a matter of fact, we went through whole classes on this. How do you develop an introduction and how do you develop a conclusion that gives a segue into the sermon and then to application at the end? So often we spend our time as pastors doing that. This text gives us its own introduction, its own conclusion. We'll look at that in just a little bit here together. The introduction is found in verses 15 to 17, if you're taking notes. And the conclusion we're going to find in verses 23 and 24 with the main body, where we'll find our formal outline, will be found in verses 18 to 22. So remember, we noticed together the struggles of their past the last time. They experienced division, like church split kind of division, disunity to the highest degree among leadership, unaddressed immorality, disorderly worship, just to name a few. And that's why Paul wrote 1 Corinthians to them, his first letter. But he's saying here, look, we're going to face lesser struggles in the future, but the struggles that relationships experience in the local church, they're just never going to go away. Right? We're not in heaven yet. They're just never going to go away, but we're going to understand how to face them together. So what's the new struggle? Look with me in verse 17. We're going to find out what this new struggle is. And some of you might just kind of snicker at this. You might say something like in your own heart, are you like, you kidding me? Like after all they've gone through and after all they've overcome... And they're moving forward in Christ's likeness that God's people can actually still have this issue. He says, look at verse 17. You see uh, the word there, vacillating. Therefore, I was not vacillating when I intended to do this. Was I? Here's the new criticism. The word vacillating means fickle. Someone who's not able to make a decision. Someone who lives their lives being caught up by their circumstance and therefore is always running in circles instead of a straight line. 
The Corinthian people are accusing Paul of being fickle. Why? Well, you see, the scriptures explain Paul's travel plans. This is the context. To come and see them. To come and see the Corinthian people. Paul had an A travel plan, and he had a B travel plan. And the next level struggle Paul would have with the Corinthian people would be over vacillating too much between travel plan A and travel plan B. So the Corinthians would say. They would attack his ministry integrity by calling Paul fickle. You might say, with all they've come through in the past, are there really, is there really still room for a criticism like this? Well, yes. It's a reminder to all of us listening this morning that our arch enemy will use anything and everything at his disposal to slow down the halt of gospel progress to slow down the progress of the gospel, excuse me. He'll halt it. He'll do everything in his disposal to do that. And it may well be an additional dispositional reminder to us that regardless of the nature, the degree of the criticism we may receive in ministry, that we maintain a spirit-filled disposition in our response. Look at verse 15. Let's read it together through verse 17. In this confidence, I intended first to come to you, travel plan A, so that you might twice receive a blessing, that is, to pass your way into Macedonia, and again from Macedonia to come to you, and by you to be helped on my journey to Judea. Therefore, I was not vacillating what I intended to do this, was I? Or what I purpose, do I purpose according to the flesh? So that with me there will be a yes, yes and no, no at the same time. So here it is. That's the reality. That's the simplicity of the reality of this new criticism. This is how mundane and ordinary of a situation Satan would use to divide the flock of God. Fickleness over travel plans. Well, Paul, if you're this indecisive of whether you're going to come and see us or not, how can we even trust what you're going to say from God? But thank goodness, it's remedied here. And it is a matter of ministry integrity that we'll examine continually as we go on here. Years ago, when we were more of an institutional church here at Grace, it was amazing to me how much we would major on the minor things of ministry and minor on the major things of ministry at times. I could really go on forever and explain the exorbitant amount of time we wasted quarreling and quibbling over such simple things as the use of the church kitchen or how the kitchen drawers should be set up. Should we have a Christmas tree in the building or, or shouldn't we? Right? What color should we paint walls? What color should we paint or should we lay carpet? And what color chairs should we have? Uh, we used to have a decorating committee here years ago. Not a good decision. <laughs> Not a good decision. Committees 
in our past became churches unto themselves. We had churches within churches at the committee level, and they would forever argue about things that were so essential to them, but yet unessential really to gospel progress as a whole. So many other things. How much money should we spend on a mower to cut the grass? How should we do the landscaping on the outside? Right? How long should Sunday school be? Everyone knew the morning service was going to go long, but so we're going to talk about how long should Sunday school be and how long should the evening service be and should we maintain four services a week or go back to three or should we go two? What should we do? Over and over and over, you all know well those things that we spend a lot of time on, sometimes at the expense of really gospel progress. That's really what's happening here. And so we have learned as we grow in Christ-likeness, or what have we learned? Well, we hopefully have learned more and more to major on the major and minor on the minors. But I know we've also learned that those who want to major on the minors of ministry will ever be present with us. Paul knew that in Corinth. And we welcome them and we embrace them. What kind of disposition underpinned by a stout theological stance should we have? In the meantime, as we expect those who have a habit of majoring on the minors, as we grow them in Christ-likeness, where do we stand dispositionally and positionally? We'll look at that the next time we're together. So if verses 15 to 17 is the introduction, then the conclusion is verses 23 and 24 as we wrap up this morning. Because we realize there may from time to time be a majoring on the minors and because we know these things will be discussed with a proper disposition and approach to relationships we discussed in verses 12 to 14 last week, then we can be confident that God will control the narrative of each and every necessary conversation. Verse 23, Paul calls God to the witness stand, if you will, to testify that he was not fickle but intentional in his ministry plans. That in fact, God led him to actually change plans because he didn't want the Corinthian people to be overburdened by him by coming too soon after he, read a very, uh, after he wrote and sent a very prescriptive, direct, hard letter for them to receive in 1 Corinthians. He could have come, but he changed because he didn't want to come as one that was lording over the flock. So let's read verse 23. What does he say? But I call God as witness to my soul. I'm not fickle. Here's God's witness to my soul. That to spare you, I did not come again to Corinth. To spare you, I did not come again to Corinth. He's going back to verses 12 to 14. He's stepping back and looking at that big picture. I know you're saved. I know you're growing. I know you received that first letter well. It's not timely for me to come yet. Trust me. Right? I know you're growing in holiness and well-motivated. I know you're hope-driven, and that's good. You don't need me right now. Just keep focusing on this first letter I sent you. Then I'll come. Then I'll come. And he goes on to say in verse 24, some very clear things. Not that we lord it over your faith. There's that reason, not that first letter. I'm not coming to pound you more because I know you've received it and you're growing. But what are we? Our workers with you for your joy. For in your faith, you are standing firm. Powerful words here. 
as the text is concluded. Not that we lord it over you for your faith. He says, we're not here to be your ministry police. We're here as what? Fellow workers or workers with you. The English word here is where you get the, um, the word synergy. We want to work together with you. Why? Because we want you to be happy for your joy. Joy in ministry for Christ and no one's personal drive for motivation is the goal. Why? Why? Because it says here, in your faith, we're standing firm. Because you are growing, we're glad. We continue to stand because we know you're growing. And he's telling this to people who call him fickle. Think about that for a second. Think about the maturity level. Paul's speaking to them as a guy that knows how to major on majors and not major on minors. And he steps back to people who are still calling him fickle. And he says, I know you're standing firm. I know you're growing. I know it's going to be okay, but you don't know what I know. You're not ready for my visit yet. And that's okay, because I want you to grow a little bit more. And then you'll be able to handle me. A lot of discernment. A lot of wisdom here. In your faith, we are standing firm. It was in the faith of the Corinthian believers, not in their majoring on minors, that Paul found the ability to make a stand. To make a stand. Paul, Paul chose to die on that hill, if you will. To die on that ministry hill. It would never be a choice to die for what eternally really didn't matter. Paul's saying here, I'm not going to die in the hill of your criticism of me being called fickle. That's like water off a duck's back to me. Right? That's a minor thing. We can address it. I am addressing it. But now, what do we really do? I know you're growing, and on this hill I'm going to stand. He says in verse 24, not that we lord it over you, but are workers with you for your joy. For in your faith, you are standing firm. Now he's drawing them back to what we'll look at next time in verses 18 to 22. Their faith. All right, so let's major on the majors now. Understanding by way of introduction and conclusion to the text, we've addressed fickleness, the minor issue. Understanding that people can still grow while they have these issues. Let's make sure that we're not going to die on those, the hill of those minor issues, but let's get back to what hill we will die on. And that's really verses 18 to 22. I'm going to give you the introduction and then we're going to pray. Excuse me, the outline and then we're going to pray together. Of verses 18 to 22. Paul's basically saying this, so who and what never changes? Since humanity changes, since we go from struggle to struggle or stumbling block to stumbling block in our relationships, let's remember this message is unchanging that he's about to give here in verses 18 to 22, and it's a core message of any Bible-embracing ministry. In verse 18, the next time, he's going to have a proclamation that we're going to study. God is faithful. God is faithful. And then he's going to have an explanation of that proclamation in verses 19 and 20. And that explanation is going to be thorough. Theologically thorough. Philosophically thorough. Practically thorough. This is what we will die for. And then he's going to have an affirmation 
of that proclamation and explanation in verses 21 and 22. So again, for you note takers, there's the outline that we'll walk through together the next time we're together as faithful servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? Proclamation, explanation, affirmation. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for, by your grace, saving us from the conflict of war with our sin. You've saved us from the power of sin. We look forward to being saved from the very presence of it at your return. But in the meantime, we know that we are faithful stewards in your army as servants. Help us, Lord, to maintenance Christian relationship in our local church by these virtues in verses 12 to 14. Help us to understand the inevitability of future struggle, but know what a minor is and what a major is as we go through this text together so that we are always maintenancing our human Christian relationships unto gospel progress as members of your army. Thank you, Lord, for wonderful time to be together and to see each other and to worship today. In Christ's name we pray.